Welcome to this podcast from the Bay Church. We hope you're blessed by the message. To find out more, please visit our website at www.the-bay-church.org.uk. So I had an an email um, in my prepared box for weeks when God said, ask Ray and Denise to come to church. I went, okay. (laughs) Um, And then... One night, I saw, I was on the computer, it was very late, I should have been in bed, and there was a, a thing came up that said, Ray's just posted something, God went, right, now send it, because you know. So I sent it, and I got a nice thank you for the invite back, and I thought, right, I've done it, done it, that's it. Um, and then a few weeks later on, Ray contacted me and said, can I come? And at that point, I thought, Oh, flip. (laughs) What have I done? Because I know that God's got a a plan for this place. But when he asks you to invite people who are so internationally well-known as Ray and Denise, it just just does make you think. His plan is actually a lot bigger than what we think it is. It's a lot bigger. And the, the, the words that we've had over the years, etc., we can now see them. We can see them happening. So, Ray, it's uh, the second trip back here because Ray said, can I come back? <laughs> the weather didn't put him off. <laughs> Please, if, if you get a chance to say anything, will you tell them this is summer? <laughs> they really don't believe me. <laughs> this is summer. Right, but we're just absolutely thrilled to have you guys back. Please feel at home here. Um, that, that's it. Thank you so much. Ray, Ray and Denise Hughes, thank you. Uh, hey, it is our joy to come back. We, uh, w- last time we were here, you said that was your summer. And we... <laughs> And we felt, we felt like uh, you might have been lying to us. That was cold. And so we, we want to come back and see if you have a real one. And I, I think you do. Today is beautiful. You, you would not like our summers. It's like 100 degrees and uh, 90% humidity. And it's crazy. What, uh, you know, we, we uh, I mean, just the birds just sit and fan themselves all the time. <laughs> they, they don't even really get to fly. Well, hey, but it is good to be back. You know, this is kind of a, a special week on so many levels. Uh, this this week, uh, 46 years ago, I gave my heart to Jesus, and uh, and also, or 40, yeah, 46. Y'all remember how it is with Kentucky fellers and numbers? You know, you remember that Kentucky feller? Uh, we have trouble with numbers. Uh, 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 let's see. There's, there's th- three kinds of fellers from Kentucky, you know, the ones that can count and the ones that can't. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> no, no, no that, that's true. Uh, any, anybody from Kentucky, they say four out of three people from Kentucky just <laughs> are, are not really good with math. But, um, well, ha- hey, open up your Bibles and uh, let's just... Somehow or another, uh, I believe the Lord is is going is releasing onto this house uh, the wisdom that comes from a thousand storms. And uh, 
you, you've, had sea, you've had a season of storm. And, uh, and, but storms carry something besides high winds. Because on the other side of those storms, there's always uh, the, the wisdom comes. Uh, wisdom comes for things that you would never deal with, never look at until the storm came. And, uh, and I feel like this is a season now that the Lord is going to bring the wisdom of the thousand storms and also uh, that peace that comes right after the storm can always be an amazing and wonderful thing. And, um, and, and uh, so today, what I want to do is I'm going to look at a couple things. Um, I want to talk to you just a little bit about David, of course, because, you know, we shouldn't have church and not remember David. Uh, because David carried so much of what God is revealing of his heart in our generation. You know, when we, when we talk of, of end-time events and eschatology and all that, and we think of, you know, the seven-headed monsters and all the things that uh, these powerful and amazing images that have been embrazened into our minds uh, over time, in, in, uh, over generations, as we try to understand the enormity and the awe and the power and all the, the stuff of God. Well, David was constantly pointing out the wonder of God. He was constantly pointing out the beauty of God. And, you know, one of the ways that he did that was he, he, he had what I, what I call a sacred intuition, which is where his songs and his poetry and his language came from. And that sacred intuition would be exercised every day of his life as seven times a day, no matter what was going on, he'd just start worshiping God. And, and his, his voice had to give expression to the wonder that he was feeling in his heart. And I think that's one of the reasons his songs wound up being uh, uh, not just liturgy, but wound up being a lyric of generation after generation of their life. And so now we, rather, rather than looking at necessarily at what we would consider to be end-time events and seven-headed, uh, you know, all those images that John saw, which let's don't devalue those at all, but, but because it was a bit of the same thing if you think about it. What David would do is he would interact with God, and out of that would come the beauty, beauty of the language and his own personal processing of life. What we basically have, though he didn't write all 150 of the Psalms, what we basically have is 150 songs that of, a, of a songwriter that was processing his emotional journey through life. And that's why you find things like, oh, why is my soul cast down? And, uh, and whoa, my enemies are out to kill me. And, I, and it was always this negative, forlorn kind of stuff. You know, he would like wake up on a really rainy day all the time uh, because he was so given to emotion and he was so given to sensitivities and the sensibilities that he, he lived his life in. But, and he would say things like, why is my soul cast down? And why is my enemies out to slay me? And why do they speak curses against me? And, you know, I, I think, um, uh, let's see, I'll say it like this. He, he uh, uh, David was one of those guys who, uh, who defied everybody's expectation, really, because he introduced, he introduced attributes of God in his generation that nobody had ever considered. 
he also, he also introduced, if you will, a theology to God's people and to humanity that they had never considered. Uh, and what he did is he defied all the cultural expectations of the day, all of the royal etiquette that was been expected of a king, he blew that, uh, all of the, the royal protocol, you know, kings are, kings are not supposed to be guys dancing in front of parades. You know, kings are supposed to look like this and do this and do that. And even though they had only had one king, they already had their understanding and expectation based upon looking at what king looked like in the world. And they would look at Egypt, and they would look at uh, Sumeria, and they'd look at all these other places and see what royalty, I mean, there was a certain amount of etiquette and protocol that was expected of them. But David blew all of that. And some, some folks would have would considered David to just be an eccentric. Uh, but, uh, but no, I won't I, I take it a bit farther. I don't think it was because he was just eccentric. I think it was because he was creative. Yeah. And, and uh, See, eccentrics, my definition of an eccentric is those who do not have the ability to care what other people think. You ever met people like that that just flat don't have the ability to care what people think? And somehow or another we we can celebrate that and we can also say, you know, over there please. Because we, you know, most of us don't how to, we don't know how to respond to people who absolutely don't have the ability to care what other people think. But I don't, I don't think that's what David was. And the reason is, is because he was so sensitive to man's opinion. His sensitivity to man's opinion is what a lot of his songs were born out of. Because he would rise above the way man had determined it's always supposed to be. And he would just get his focus off of his enemies and off of his, the naysayers and off of the curses and off of the stuff that was, was being thrown into the atmosphere that you'd have to deal with. The way he would deal with it is he, sometimes he would question him on, his own self. He'd say things like, soul, why are you so cast down? Don't you know that? And then right out of the most morbid, depressing thoughts, he would find his voice and he would find truth and he would find wonder, and he would find imagination. And see, he, he was not real, real big into facts. Did you ever notice that? He, uh, you know, uh, David was not a fact guy any more than Jesus was. Jesus didn't care anything about facts. He was constantly being challenged. His theology would be challenged. And because the, the brainiacs, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the theologians, the debaters, would want to debate him on theological stuff, you know, and historical stuff. You know, look, our fathers, did, you know, try to corner him on some Greek philosophy wrapped around crazy thinking and try to challenge Jesus on that and get him drawn into a debate so he could find out if he could give him the right facts. He didn't care a flip about facts. Somebody would challenge Jesus theologically. He might say, well, consider the lilies. And he's gone. Or he might, he might say, or he might just look at them when they're challenging him on their theology. He might say, well, just uh, consider the ravens and wander off. He would never give them the time of day when it comes to arguing and debating theological stuff. He, or he might say, consider the heavens. 
Now some brainiac debater that's looking for the facts, uh, about three or four days later, he's thinking, what does he mean, consider the lily? You know, you know come think of it, a lily is kind of like, now he's considering the lily. Because Jesus could care less about facts. He, he was about truth. And we think facts and truth are the same thing, but they're not. And when you say, so, or he might say, well, I'll tell you what, foxes have their holes and birds have their nests. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head, but I'll get back to you on that other thing. <laughs> and, he, and he would just, wow, but it, but it was truth. And the difference is, is facts a fact informs. And I can tell you, a fact is, I'm standing here in front of y'all with my hand on this music stand. That's a fact. I just informed you, but it didn't change your life, did it? It don't change your life to know that I'm standing here with my hand on this thing. But facts, are not, facts inform. Truth transforms. And what Jesus had the ability to do, like David was in any, any life situation, he had the ability to access truth. And not only is it transformational for, for, for us when we embrace truth. He, one, one, other, one other thing about that. Jesus, when I say he didn't care anything about facts, uh, he never preached a sermon in his life. Now the Greeks called it the Sermon on the Mount, but he didn't. He was not even a preacher. And he, and he certainly never preached sermonettes for the Christianettes. <laughs> what he would do is he would speak out of who he was in relationship to his father. I only say what I hear the father saying. I only do what I see him doing. And as, as best you can tell in Scripture, Jesus ever, never had a logical thought in his life. <laughs> because it's Jesus, not Socrates. He's not connected to logic of man. That's why he could speak from that place. And truth transforms. Why? Because he was speaking out of who he was in relationship with the Father. That, that means I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's a very different thing. And what, and what was happening with David was, David was accessing truth. When he would look at the worst thing that could be going on in his life, but yet then he would turn around and say, well, bless the Lord, O my soul. Yes, the one that's cast down. Yeah, he, he would, his imagination and that sacred intuition would access a truth and he would begin to sing out of that. And that's why he would say things that are kind of weird when you think about it. Lord, you are the strength of my life. You are my song. So the song that he would, when he would sing the song that was really in him, now his soul's all cast down and all that, and he said, but he would say things like, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Well, what's in you? Everything that's within me, bless his holy name. When he would say things like, uh, uh, when the Bible says that David would praise the Lord with his whole heart. What's in his heart? What was in his heart was not the storm that the enemy had brought. What was in his heart was the peace of God. He just had to access that. And he would use his imagination to find, and, and, and he would write from places like this. Lord, you're, a, you're an endless ocean. 
You're a bottomless sea. You're a, so all of those metaphors and images, that's where his poetry and that's where his beauty came from. That's where his language came from. What is, what is, what's within you? I mean, what's, what's within you? What's your language? What's your, what's your express creativity? Uh, it, it don't have to be really co real complicated. If you see it, is it an opportunity to respond to God with it? Because that's what David would do. Is, and again, he would get up seven times a day, no matter what's going on, he would just grab that old Martin harp, that old guitar harp, and he would begin to just sing. And now his imagination would fully engage with God. It's kind of a kind of a wonderful wonderful place to be, isn't it? What what if what if we could access that in our lives? Well, we we've we've been given access through the blood of Jesus, the Son of David, who came along and fulfilled all of the poetry of the song that was sung back in the remember the last time I was here I talked about how David sat in the shepherd's field. He would sit there in the shepherd's field and, and play and worship unto God and, and access imagination and wonder and the beauty of who God was in his life in this place of solitude. And, uh, and you, know, a lot of, uh, we don't, you know, we don't need deeper thoughts. Sometimes we need deeper silences. And there in that place of silence, you feel the peace of God in your life. And the storm's impact is now not it's not the harshness of the storm now. It's the wisdom of a thousand storms that come because you realize you're sitting in the presence of the Lord. You know, uh, I, uh, I like to talk about something I experienced one day on the, on the, coast of, and on the west coast of Ireland, on the Connemaran coast out there where, where the wind and the water have engraved the thoughts of God into those stones for thousands of years. And you stand there and you realize you're standing in the middle of a thought of God. And his thoughts are so wondrous that his thoughts and desires are manifest and lived out in the earth because the, the authority of his voice and the desire and the intent of his heart is sustaining the earth. And, it's, and, and the entire earth is, set, is trembling at his voice. Because when he spoke it into existence, he spoke with all the frequencies in the sound spectrum and so broad that it set matter into motion and it's still trembling today at the sound of his voice. And, in a, and if the stones underneath the earth ever cease to tremble, you know what will happen. The whole earth will go off of its axis, slam into the other planets, and you would notice. And we've got a problem. <clears throat> but it cannot do that because his voice has never lost its authority, therefore it's never lost its ability to sustain this entire planet at the sound of his song. Remember, I mean, now that is an awesome God. Now that is a God that will get you through whatever storm just tried to come. That's the one that will turn uh, disaster into delight because you turn away from the disaster, you get your song, and there's where you begin to then access the truth of who he is and the truth of who you are. You know, we're created for that for that realm. That does not say the storm doesn't come, does it? Because he even has purpose in the, purposes in the storm that sometimes we don't understand until that storm settles and you're carrying the, now the wisdom of a thousand of those, a thousand storms. And the land, uh, let's see, where, 
let, 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 me, let me say it like this. I, uh, uh, what David would do, it says in Psalm 103, I don't think I even told y'all where to go. Uh, and, uh, but, but I have now. And so it says the Psalm of David. And it's, bless the Lord, O my soul. Yes, where on numerous occasions, well, seven times in Scripture, or seven times in the Psalm, there's seven different times that David uh, says, sing unto the Lord a new song. And uh, the word new is the word uh, kodash, which means to rebuild, repair, renew, and restore. So to sing it unto him a new, a new song. That means to us that when we align ourselves with what God says in the situation and we begin to sing that song, there is a there's an authority in the spirit realm for being, rebuilding, renewing, repairing, and restoring. So when David would say, sing unto the Lord a new song, he would be speaking to himself, and he would be speaking into the atmosphere to anyone who would hear that. In other words, step out of the storm and sing through it, sing to it. And, and sing unto the Lord a new song. And he, here he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. And that's one of the words that's also translated praise. It's the word barak. And, but he says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And just, and I'll say it like this, I'll paraphrase. Just because of the conditions and the storm that we're going through, that does not give us permission to forget His benefits, even in the days of lack. Even in the days of loss. Even in the days of disaster even in the days of depression. He, so what he would do is he would, he would reach into that place and even his, his weary soul would find a new song. Because he would speak to his soul as if it, as it, as if it were an entity. You see it all throughout, all, all throughout the songs. And I'll tell you, there will be a starvation of imagination as long, there's a, as long as there's a famine in the heart of man. Sometimes it's as simple as us going ahead and embracing the imagery of, of a bottomless ocean. What is it? Endless ocean and a bottomless sea. And I, you know, I, love, you know, I think Jonathan Helzer wrote that song. And the, and the beauty of those lyrics just, uh, uh, you know, it says, the possibilities of the wonder of God far outnumber the little impossibility that it, that's facing me. And if I embrace the impossibility in my soul and in my soulish realm, I'll lose the lyric, i lose the wonder, i lose the imagination. And there's something to be said about, uh, about those that are willing to just rise above the starvation of imagination. We've mistaken a God-given wonder and imagination, and what we do a lot of times in this world, we'll create celebrity around surface chatter and clever ideas. And we, because we're a media-driven culture that derives its theology from things like television commercials, bipolar news networks, imp <laughs> impotent music, powerless music that means nothing, just fills the room with distraction, all kinds of man manipulative marketing mechanisms that are out there to grab our attention. And you know what they do? They grab our attention and hold our imagination. And then we mentally, emotionally, and I'll say it spiritually process all of the crazy stuff we're being bombarded with. 
when sometimes we don't even need deeper thoughts or more stimulation, we need deeper silences, and we need the presence of God in our life, no matter what that storm looks like. We live our lives in the shallow splashes of superficial stimulation, and seldom, if ever, do we access God and step into the depth of wonder and the imagination of who He is. And I think that was one of the keys that Jesus walked in. He had that sanctified imagination to embrace truth. And it was transforming. That's why he spoke from that place. In the same way that when we have encounters, we speak from our encounter. In the same way that when we have uh, defining moments in God, we speak from that defining moment in God. And, and, uh, and, it's, and I believe that's also what Jesus did. He would access and continually accessing the desire and the intent of the Father because he was, that's what he was there to do. And from that place, he spoke. See, sometimes, and, and I shared this with you last time, I'm, I wanna, uh, but I, I want to I make this point. See, sometimes uh, worship songs create atmospheres that constrain the imagination and protect the politeness of church services and prevents worship. But sometimes worship songs carry a liberating language and lyric that causes people to catch glimpses of God's glory. And just one glimpse sometimes, born out of the imagination of a poet-songwriter who, who will say something married to a melody that makes it become our own. We're not, you know, we're not about just going to church and singing, you know, three songs and then having an offering and an announcement and a poet, a poem and a hymn and a, and a four-point sermon kind of a deal, you know. That's not what our, that doesn't, that's not life. That's liturgy. And even some liturgy can be incredibly beautiful, so let's don't even devalue that. Some, some of the beautiful liturgy that's been given down through the years, born out of people with real hearts and real passion for God, and sometimes we'll reach back to one of those days and it's got so much life on it and we thought that was old dead religion stuff. We thought that old hymn was just some old day gone by kind of thing. But watch sometimes when you reach into that hymn and the life that's still there, the life that's still awakened because of a hymn that maybe carried a, a remembrance or a memory that, of something that God did all those years ago. I, I believe that memories just love to gather around old guitars. And just wait for somebody to touch the strings. Sometimes th those memories, you know how you can just play. Last night when the, the cab guy picked us up, you know, and he, uh, in Newcastle. And uh, where are you from? We were, got to talking with him a little bit. And, and, uh, and I said, we live in, we live in Alabama. We, we live in Muscle Shoals. Have you ever heard the song Sweet Home Alabama? Yeah. Well, it was recorded right down the street from where we live. We, we live in the hit recording capital of the world. Uh, and, and it really is. It's called the hit recording capital of the world. Everybody in the world, you know, came there because of the uniqueness of the sound that came out of that land and out of that region. For example, uh, an old fellow named Rick Hall built a recording studio there all those years ago, and, and this guy, you know, walks in, in the middle of a cotton patch, and this fellow says, you know, I can sing. Well, well, all right, come on. And they put him in the studio, and when a man loves a woman... Percy Sledge. Here comes Aretha Franklin. Here comes and and here comes the Stones. They they cut the wild horses there. 
uh, here comes, and there's this whole, because a sound that was in the land was awakened, and everybody began to alert themselves, and the, just the imagination that was in the place. And it was a, it was a holy imagination that God, because you remember God is very land-oriented? There's, there's songs and sounds that God has already set in eternal motion for this part of the world, and he's waiting for the, the poets and the bards and the minstrels of a generation to get that sound. Why, why can we, as the people of God, why do we confine ourselves so many times to some sort of a religious liturgy when the wonder of God and the imagination and the beauty of God is waiting to be awakened in our own lives? See, what we do in church situations is typically... We, over the generations, we typically sink everybody to the lowest common denominator creatively, and we call that unity, when in fact, it's sameness. God wants the unique, and if, even if it appears to be eccentric sometimes, God wants the unique sound of your song and your relationship. He wants you to find your, the song that you were born to sing. And it may not always be musical, by the way. A song is the full expression of life. It may not be musical, but it's still, it can be, uh, biblically it would be called song because our idea and definition of song and singing is not the biblical definition of song and singing. I just, I talked about that the last time I was here, so I won't get too deep into it. But let me, let me tell you a quick little story. Um, back in the 1830s, in our part of the world, a bunch of knuckleheaded uh, politicians and, and greed-dominated national leaders, one being our president, a fellow named Andrew Jackson, and, and others, John Sevier, and these kind of folks. In our country, I don't know if you've ever heard of what's called the Trail of Tears. But the Trail of Tears was a horrible time in, in, in our nation's history when uh, they found gold uh, in the South on, the, on Indian land. And they were, because if you get the land... You get the resources. You get the resources, you get the power. You get the power, you get the control. You get the control, you get a people's future. And that's one of the reasons these hierarchical systems of political power and greed and all that, dominating lands and all that, man's always had that poison in his heart uh, ever, ever since the other end of the garden. But now what happened was is these powerful leaders, they found gold in the land, but we've got to get all these Indians off of the land. And so what they did is they came in and they would take the tribes of Indians and set them on a march all the way. And they, they would begin the marching these Indians off of their homelands in uh, August and September. They were going to walk them all the way to Oklahoma. And that means that most of them will die through the winter. And we'll make sure they do because they gave them smallpox infested blankets uh, so that most of them would not make it. That's why it was called the Trail of Tears. But it wasn't because of the, the, uh, the, the Indians' tears. They, they, were, they, were, they were proud Indians, and they wouldn't even ride the horse of the white man. But they walked. And as they would be walking, carrying their dead relatives and their grandfathers and their grandmothers and their babies, and they would be dragging them on these drags, and they would go walk by these mansions and places. The white man who would, is exposed to the atrocities of it all, the horrors of it all, there's where the tears came from. 
a, a horrible time in history. You've, you've had many of those in your nation as well, you know. I mean, I say this respectfully to you with no respect to Cromwell. So you know what I'm talking about. You know, there's some, so, some of the crazy stuff that you're, you know. I mean, the atrocities that came out of that knucklehead are, are un, unimaginable. And down through the generations, we've all had those. But what happened when they pressed the Indians off of, uh, off of the, the land in Alabama there, it was a, in that place it was called Muscle Shoals. And Muscle Shoals is where uh, there was a 10-mile-long waterfall. Did I tell you all about this the last time I was here? A 10-mile-long waterfall. And then this ten, uh, and it was on an incline, not like a straight down fall, but it was on such an incline that the, that the river would roar like a mighty Niagara for 10 miles, and you could hear it for miles. And there would be boulders, you know, a big, as big as trucks, lorries or whatever, big as cars and automobiles, big old boulders and this water, so you could hear it for 10 miles away. And there, one of these Indian tribes that were pressed off, there was a little girl named Telanehe who went with her people. Because what they did, they pressed the Indians off of the land through broken covenant and, and, and abuse. And they brought the black African slaves in of broken covenant and abused people. See, in those days, and I don't, and by the way, I'll just say it, I don't think racism is a political thing. I think it's a demonic thing. Okay. And so what they did is the, demon, the demonization of powerful leaders with greed and all that, they would do these horrible atrocities. And again, you know what I'm talking about. Your history here has got a bunch of that as well. But what happened was they're pressed off the land. Now, they get a the ones that make it and live all the way to Oklahoma, but this little 15-year-old girl named Telly Nade, she said, I can't live in Oklahoma. If you've ever been to Oklahoma, I understand. <laughs> but she said, I can't live in Oklahoma. I will not live where I cannot hear the river sing. Because she was born hearing the sound of the song of that river. And it was so instilled in who she was. See, see that connection to land. That connection to where God has created you to be, not just called you to, but created you to be. There are places like that you, that you come most alive. You, you know what I'm saying? And, and so she said, I can't live in a place where I can't hear the river sing. And she took, started walking. And she walked every day alone. For five years she walked. And she got all the way back to where she could hear the river sing because she said she was born to be, uh, uh, she was born to hear the sound of many waters. Look at the beautiful, the poetry, the imagination. But it was not just imagination. It was a transformational truth in her life. She knew who she was. She couldn't live in a place that she could not hear the sound of many waters. And in that place, when she got there, she knew she was home. And there's a, there's a, there's a sound that's calling all of us to who we really are, who we're really created to be. And in that, and right there, uh, then we had a, in, a, in the early part of the 1900s, Woodrow Wilson came in, the president, and built a dam. And when he, when he, when he built the dam, uh, that took away the falls, took away the sound for the comforts of man and to empower us with electricity and technology and so on. The sound was then gone away. But a hundred years from her day, 
more than 100 years from her day, there was a, there was a, a fellow named Rick Hall. He, he, the desire of his heart was to capture the sound of the song of the people. And he did. He built a recording studio right there in a cotton patch. And the rest is history. Then the whole world began to turn and see, but it's not always song. It's not, uh, like I say, it's not always song. You, 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 I mean, it's not always music when we find our song. Uh, I'll tell you one last story. Are you okay with it? Are we in a hurry? Yeah. All right, if y'all get hungry, just say, I'm hungry. Maybe we can order some pizza, but I'm, I'll get something to <laughs> But what, what time do y'all usually quit? About 12 All right. Perfect. Um, so, I, I, let's see. Let me let me uh, let me back up right here. There was a when I say it's not always music. There's a uh, well, I had it there just a minute ago. You know, I used to could remember everything whether it happened or not. You know. But, <laughs> Oh, there, was a, there was a preacher named Sam Jones used to say, you know, I despise theology and botany, but I love Jesus and flowers. <laughs> because, you know, there, there was something of life connected to it, but just the, the theology and the botany mean nothing. But boy, I love Jesus and I just love what happens when I see a flower, you know. Very, very different thing. And music is not, uh, sound, your song is not always about music. For example, right here in your country, there was a, there was a, back in the 1600s, about the time Cromwell was showing himself, there was a, what happened in, in your land was they had the, uh, the, the government or the, the powers that be would come in and, 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 and let's say uh, you're a preacher and uh, you're preaching a gospel that they don't appreciate. If you're preaching some Protestant gospel, you, you, can, you can get in trouble real quick. And what they'll come in is they'll come in, they'll burn the church to start with, then go to your house, give you a few belongings, put you out on the street. And if you, if you continue to preach, they just burn your house down, burn the church. And now what are you going to do? Well, you're, you're stranded. What are you going to do? So you know you can go over to this brother's house because he's a part of your community and your culture. Because he's, he, he, you know, it's friendship, there's covenant there. And, but now they're going to come and they're going to burn his house and put him on the street. And pretty, but there was this one young man who just, he, I'm called to preach. I, I can't not preach the gospel. And, and sure enough, uh, so they put him in prison. And they throw him in this, in, this, in this dark dungeon of a prison. And there in that dungeon, he, he, as a matter of fact, it, it was so dark and deep. The, I mean, the, can you imagine the despair now, knowing the freedoms that you have? But now you're stuck in this dark, dank dungeon of a prison, and there's a, a hole about that big up there just for air to come in, but you can see uh, through that. And that's the only way you even know if it's daylight or dark. You don't even know what time of day it is. But he could see through that one little hole. Well, in that place, somehow or another, he was able to acquire a... Uh, eventually, uh, in the, in the wh why is my soul cast down? <laughs> well, it's over. But he was able to get a hold of a pen and paper. And in the 1600s, if, if, you, if you don't mind me saying it like this, 
that pen began to dance across a silent page as his imagination of what God can do found language. And there's a fellow, there's a young boy named, uh, 12 years he was in there, his name is John Bunyan. And he wrote a piece called Pilgrim's Progress. And you know what? It's all born out of an imagination that found life and found expression. And that was his song. And, that, and it actually turned out to be the greatest piece of Christian literature ever written and had more impact on the generations to come than any other piece of literature other than the Bible. That piece of literature is what brought awakening to people like George Whitfield. George, and in George Whitfield, you know, you know the journey that he had. Uh, George Whitfield, a, a young man, uh, uh, you know, uh, born in the back of a pub called the Bell Inn, and his father died. He was a pub keeper, and and. And, he, and the little boy got a fever and wound up being cross-eyed and gimpy for the rest of his life. And he had all of these enemies, of, uh, he, he and his, his mother living in scarcity and poverty, poverty all their lives. And he had a dream. And his dream was to one day go to Oxford. And, he, and that dream came true. But it didn't come true like most people would have thought. Because this young boy in poverty wound up going to Oxford and becoming a butler to take care of the rich people. And so in that atmosphere is where he began to find his song because he met a young boy named John Wesley. And when, and when he, gave his heart, uh, he gave his heart to Jesus, and eventually the short version of the story is, is he became the most famous man in the world because God gave him a supernatural ability to access the imagination and the wonder and the beauty of God and speak with such a clarity that he even, and God even gave him a supernatural voice. He, Benjamin Franklin wrote in one of his documents that the, George Whitfield could speak in conversational tones and speak through a, a mass of a crowd up to 100,000 people and you could hear him speaking up to two miles away. Can't even be done. Try it sometime. <laughs> Try to speak in a conversational tone across a rugby deal, you know, with whatever, 50,000 people in it. You just try to speak in a conversational tone. Every word is clear as a bell. The consonants and vowels clearly articulated up to two to three miles away. And, and he would have uh, 20, sometimes 20 to 30,000 people that would just gather. No Google, no texting, no social media. The word would just be spread that George Whitfield had shown up. And they would in no time be 15,000 people. That also is, would be supernatural, I would think. And uh, m moved by the wonder of who God would, could be. And they said all the way, after he had become the great George Whitfield, most famous man in the world, it, in the entire world, I think, in those days, in the entire world, and when he would come back to Oxford... There would be throngs there to greet him, and he would bolt out of the carriage and run like a schoolboy all the way to the very spot where he gave his heart to Jesus, and he would stand there and weep because he never, ever lost the wonder of what had happened to a 20-year-old cross-eyed boy with no future and no hope. But God 
turned his life into one full of wonder and full of the beauty of the presence of the Lord. He found his song. You know, you can think about it. Look at John Bunyan. John Bunyan thought he was called to preach. But he, he was actually created to change the world. There's a difference. Because he accessed Holy Spirit imagination and wonder. I wonder how many things, I wonder how many things we're just walking by. And, and, it's, and it's not always the, okay, let's do this, 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 and this. See, what it is, is a lot of times we want a five-year plan when everything goes wrong. And God wants people with a 500-year vision living in their heart. There, there's things God wants to do out of a little place called Whitley Bay that we walk by all the time. We walk, we met, how many days of our lives do we walk past the possibilities of what God wants to awaken in us? Because we will not marry faith to our imagination and embrace the wonder of God and try to live in that place. David lived in the place of the wonder and the beauty of God, and he had to rise above every day. Look at the things George Whitfield had to rise above, and he did. His rising above might have been the fact that when he would stand up and preach to the rowdies in the street, that back in those days they loved to throw vegetables at him like, and, and dead cats. Back in those days, the big deal was throwing dead cats at preachers. And that'll sort of shut down your message a little bit. And I'm closing now, and I don't want to hear any going on. <laughs> if I hear one meow, I'm out that door. I want you to. <laughs> but now, when. when now, when George Whitfield was preaching in Ireland, they all got ticked off at him for his theology, and they started stoning him and left him for dead. Did I talk to y'all about him last time I was here? They left him for dead, laying on the road, and all of his friends run and left him, and there he is beaten to a pulp, and they and 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 he's he's out. They know he's dead, so they just leave him. But he actually was able to crawl about a mile and a half, and he got to a house. And they got him in, and when they finally could get words out of him, he, he, he said, this is the most wonderful day. He says, I'll always love Ireland, because here is where I reached the status of apostle. <laughs> now, we think apostles are the new, you know, apostle is the guy that wakes up out of the coma <laughs> and, and, and rejoices. So, why would you be cast down over this? See, immediately his imagination embraced the Word of God, and, and he found truth in it. Uh, truth is transformative, not just informative. You see, and, there, and he said about Scotland, he, said, he says, the only danger I have in Scotland is I have the fear of being hugged to death. <laughs> because, because he was building all these orphanages and, and loving the kids. And, and, you know, people, of course, they scrutinized him, you know, because of all these orphans, orphanages he was building, and he must be rich and all. He died with nothing. See, see ministry, it, it, this thing is not about building ministry. It's about how do you get to give your life away. It's, it's, it's finding the genius of God married to your heart, and genius is not about genius. Imagination and music and sound and song and ministry is not about genius. It's about generosity. And he so gave his life away that he preached his way all the way. Uh, he was in America. He'd go up and down the East Coast 
preaching in all the big cities like Philadelphia where he met Ben Franklin and all that. But he'd be preaching in places like that, raising money in every one of them when those thousands would gather. And he would send it to the orphanages in Edinburgh, Scotland, and in Georgia. All of it went there. And he preached his way all the way to a place called Newburyport, Massachusetts. And, and there was 30,000 people there to hear the great George Whitfield. And he, got, uh, he preached two hours. And he's going to the manse or the, what do you, would y'all call it a manse, the parsonage? So, and he tells his, his assistant, Stephen, he says, Stephen, I must get some rest. I'm weary from the, this journey. It's been a really hard deal. And they get to the house and they walk in and the place is filled with people. And the man of the house says, uh, Reverend Whitfield, would you please honor our guests? What, they want to hear you preach tonight. And if only, only five, just a short message, if you could bring a short message to the people. And he was already going up to, to bed. And he just turns around. He's standing there on the steps, of the, on the stairs. And he looks. And he's standing there holding a, this candle. And he stands there and begins to preach. Two hours later, two o'clock, in, uh, after two o'clock in the morning, he's standing there preaching, and the candle goes out. And he turns and he walks up without another word. He lays down in the bed and goes to heaven. Wow. Think about it. He was, he, he sung his song until the candle went out. When the candle goes out, there you have it. Let's do that. George Whitfield was impacted by John Bunyan. George Whitfield impacted Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon impacted, and it just keeps on going on and on and on and on and on. Because there was a young guy who thought he was called to preach, but he was actually created to change the world. Because he accessed imagination, he wrote of the beauty of who God was. Well, that, that'll, that'll, that'll sort some things out in our lives. Lord, help us do that. Imagination, beauty, and wonder. Like David. If you, what, what you see happen there with David, when he, when he said, Lord, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. This is that soul that had been cast down. And then the lyric keeps going. Who forgives all, all iniquities. Who heals all diseases. Who redeems li- life from destruction. Who crowns with loving kindness and tender mercies. This is not, oh Lord, why have you betrayed and abandoned me and left me in a prison somewhere? You know, what he did is he, he wrote from, he could, he could see just enough of heaven for one light. One little starry light out there is what made the difference. I wonder if God has a grace on our generation, if we could get this to be the places where when we sing like David sang, we walk in out of the storms and we walk into a place like this and we begin to bless the Lord with all that is within me, blessing his name. 
and forgetting not his benefits, remembering the mighty acts and the wondrous, uh, wondrous works. And that becomes our language. I wonder if we would also be singing an atmosphere where all diseases are healed. I wonder if we would be singing an atmosphere where the crowns of loving kindness and the mercies of God would be put on people's lives rather than trying to work through the last church storm. I wonder if it would be more about the tender mercies who satisfies my mouth with good things and, re and renews my youth like an eagle's. There's, again, the imagination embracing a truth of God. And truth is always transformative. It transforms. Even the Word of God. Singing the desires of God is also like, it's kind of like singing the Bible, you know. And uh, like Denise always said, is, said that I'm being, re, uh, I, I'm, I'm constantly being transformed by the removal of my mind. But it's actually, we're being trans, transformed by, by the, through the Word, which is truth. We're constantly being transformed, changed, transformed, by, and our minds being renewed by the truth that, that becomes our song. So, all right. Well, listen, it, it's so good to be with you guys again. Wouldn't have missed it for nothing. And... Uh, uh, let's see. I think I said everything that I wanted to say. <laughs> kind of. Uh, maybe. Uh, I, you know what I think? I, I think I want to take this quite a bit farther tonight. Uh, so, Lord. I want, to, I want to try to pray according to what I've got here right, right now. See, sadly, there's so many incredibly gifted, talented people in this world, yet jaded hearts that are so oblivious to the beauty of who God is. Why don't we ask the Holy Spirit right now to baptize this entire coastline with the beauty of who He is? Lord, we ask you, we lose so much in our lives when we settle for going through the motions of church or even going through the motions of creative processes while secretly searching for an identity that somehow we can celebrate and have self-worth and identity around. Lord, we pray that our songs will identify who you are, the beauty of who you are, the power of who you are the greatness of who you are. Lord, let the sound of our songs, let the, let the writings that come from our hearts, let the poetry that comes out of the lives of those that have been given the sensitivities and sensibilities for it, yet have shut down the language because, oh, it's just my imagination. That's just my imagination. We, I break that curse off of this house in Jesus' name, and we say, this is not just our imagination. We have determined to imagine the wonder of who you are in every facet of our lives. In Jesus' name, we, we embrace today all of the amazing possibilities that how you will demonstrate your tender, loving kindness through our lives as we walk through our creative processes. And Lord, I pray that, that we now embrace the wisdom of a thousand storms and the peace of your presence 
in Jesus' name. The, our, our season right now is not about the storm, it's about the peace that God is bringing and purpose that He's bringing. And He's going to perpetuate His truth to this house, through this house, no matter what the storm was. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You know, I'll just, I'll just finish by saying this. Remember how when, as a child when you'd come up with something just outrageous? I saw the incredible Hulk come walking through here this morning. <laughs> Did y'all see the Hulk? That dude walked, he, he walked up, and, and, and then when he turned around, it was like this. You know, like, and he, this, he is, in, in his imagination, he's the most powerful force in the room, you know? And I, I was thinking about when you're a kid, you know, you, then you get to that place where you grow, and you get, gain wisdom, and, you, and then you hear things like, no, no, that's just your imagination. That's just, that's just your imagination. Well, see, then we start learning that imagination is not a holy thing, when in fact, imagination is real. Yeah. Fantasy is not real, but imagination is real. Think like this for just a second. You ever see those muscle guys? You know, those muscle guys that do all that body sculpting and all this stuff, they'll just walk up there, they'll, look like, they'll do some sort of pose and it looks like rats running around under their skin, you know? <laughs> all these muscles. Or they'll just reach like this and just grab up a whole new neck. <laughs> they didn't even have that neck a minute ago. And with all of that power, and, and, and I want you to think about now for just a second, imagine who Jesus was. He was full of the, all of the power and the muscle of heaven and earth. In one moment, he, in one moment, the truth that would come out of him would be so transformational that all of the power and authority of heaven and earth would be at his command. What did he do with that? Did he just reach and grab all the angels and start? No. What he did is he would, with all of that, he would serve. He would wash feet. He would honor he would love and he would bless. And then from that place he would speak the life of the Father. And that's why there was transformation in the words and in his imagination. I pray that over every person here. Lord, let us not take sides. Let us not be those that try to, uh, somebody's going to be right, somebody's going to be wrong. Let us be those in this house that access the wonder of God and use the strength of heaven within us to bring transformation through servanthood and access to the truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you guys.